guys and girls. Put on a new suede waistcoat. What's the crack, you droopy Julians? My microphone's been a... A small bit of a bastard, hold on. I am back in my proper Limerick studio. And I don't know if ye can hear it, but I can hear the slight difference in audio fidelity. It's a little bit more warm. There is certainly no echo. And I am fucking glad to be back in Limerick. I was away in London for six weeks. I was in Dublin for five days last week. And it feels fucking great being home and having access to my regular routine and being able to play a little bit of Red Dead Redemption and make as many cups of tea as I like being able to go for gentle runs down by the Plassey River keeping an eye out for Yorty Ahern the otter he hasn't gone away well he's a bit quiet recently now because it's winter I haven't seen much of him you know and yeah that's the thing I haven't spoken about Yorty Ahern, by the way, is, if, if you're new to the podcast, he's an otter that lives in a river in Limerick and he's the patron saint of this podcast. And if you're a new listener, just go back to the very, very start, of course. There's no point starting now on episode 70. But I haven't seen Yorty in months. Now, I'm not, I'm not alarmed by this fact. It's just... Chances are, if you're going to get a crack of an otter, it'll be in the afternoon. It'll be just... I've seen Yorty a couple of times. It's always when the sun is going down. That's when he comes out for a frolic. And there's one or two places where I know I will get a little, a sneaky squint at Yorty if I position myself quietly and hide in a bush. I can see the Limerick otter. But... Yeah... If if I'm like I, I when it's when it's winter time, I usually go out in the mornings. You know. I don't. I tend not to go jogging, at dusk in winter because, it's just a bit nippy. It's a bit cold. That noise there. It's not the sound of a creaking ship. I'm not. I'm not secretly broadcasting from a boat. I'm pretending I'm in Limerick. It's. I have a rebellious pop shield. Listen to him which is, it's a thing that goes in front of the microphone to prevent um, unpleasant noises if I use a, a, a word that has P in it. If I say P, 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 p like that, the pop shield prevents that P from causing the microphone to peak, but the wire attached to it is uh, being a bit of a ruffian, and I think it needs to go to Barstel. It needs to be sent off to Barstel. I'm going to get a new one. But yeah, back in Limerick. Happy as Larry. Um, I mentioned last week I was going to have a crack at a a plant-based diet in the interest of the planet. I spoke last week about climate change and my concern around it for the first time. And one of the things I want to do is to reduce the amount of meat in my diet by 90% so I'm going to be eating a plant based diet for 5 days a week and it's brilliant, it's not difficult at all, I've been getting on fantastically with it Um, 
the only thing I miss is because I cut out dairy as well, you know, because it's like I, w- I want to not have anything that comes from animals whatsoever. The dairy industry isn't very good on the, on the environment either. I do miss cow's milk in my tea. I've tried coconut milk. I've tried oat milk and soya. Soya is the best. But it tastes a small bit like liquid cardboard. And not the delicious creamy sunshine that comes from a cow's tits. You know? So... We'll see how I get on. We'll see how I get on. If if tea is a very important part of my day, very, very important part of my day, it brings me intense pleasure and joy. And I might have to switch back to a bit of milk at the very least. I like I'm not I have a like two big tubs of whey protein that I need to get through as well anyway. So I'm not a hundred percent plant based. I'm taking two scoops of whey protein a day just because I don't want to waste them. I don't want to throw them away. I already haven't purchased. I know you can buy vegan protein, but if I can, if I can get get along well with the soya, and I don't miss it after about a week or two, I don't miss the the cow's milk, then I'll stick it with the soya. But like I said, liquid cardboard, lads, and that's the best of the bunch. Um. Coconut milk on its own is yummy. Oat milk, oat milk's a bit weird. Feel a bit cheated by oat milk. You know, I have a feeling if you got a bunch of porridge oats and put them in some water, you'd very quickly get some oat milk without having to spend three quid on it, you know. Um, It was World Cancer Day this week. Check your testicles. Check your breasts. Okay? Um, become familiar with these things. Do you know? Check check your relevant equipment, lads. Um, regularly. Because we tend not to because it's scary. Like, who the fuck wants to do that? Who, who wants to go into the shower and go, better check my balls for cancer? No one wants to do that. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch my testicles in a, in a way which is unconventional and uncomfortable, uh, so that I can find some cancer. Like, that's not a particularly enamoring proposition. You know, um, coupled with the fact that testicles have several natural lumps in them anyway, and you're like, which ones are the normal ones? But, having said that, conquer the fucking anxiety of it, do it once a week, alright, whatever part of your body you want to explore for lumps, um, if you can, do you know, those full body health screenings, get one of them once a year, right, if you look it up online, there's usually free ones in your area, they'll have like a full health screening clinic, right, that you can go to if if you can't afford it and then if you can afford it you go to your doctor and say give me a health screening so there's no excuse there either and the reason I say it the reason I'm saying it on the podcast is I tweeted on World Cancer Day I tweeted you know check yourself 
keep an eye on these things, look after yourself. That's what I tweeted. Something along those lines. And I was just fucking shocked with how many people responded underneath saying, yeah, I had cancer last year. Yes, um, mine was worse because I didn't fucking get early detection. Loads of people, like a lot of people. And it really hit home to me. It's like, oh, fuck, okay, this is important. Conquer the anxiety of it, is what I'm saying. It's not pleasant to be going into the shower looking for lumps. I'd much rather be singing songs or thinking about my day. But I most definitely am going to be having a crack at that once a week. So, I was in Dublin because I was doing four live podcasts in the Sugar Club. And they were fantastic. They were a serious amount of crack. The audiences were lovely. The guests were brilliant. They were four very engaging gigs. Four very different topics with very different energies. I had Ellie Kiziombe, who is a person who's been living in direct provision for over a decade. Uh, She is now running as a politician with the Social Democrats. She's the first ever person in direct provision to be running um, as a politician. That was incredible. Uh, it, It was wonderful to... just to be able to... the privilege of being able to provide the platform for someone who has the lived experience of direct provision to go... This is what it's like. This is what's happening. Um, please listen. So I'll be putting that one out at some point over the coming months. Then I had Dr. Billy McGlynn, who was a folklorist. He was talking about ancient Irish folklore, mythology, things like that. Early Irish history, pre-Christian Ireland. I had... Grace Dias, Rachel Kyo and Lloyd Coney. All three of them are involved in a play called Heroin, which takes kind of real-world experience of the drug heroin and offers a social history of it. So that was an entire night where it was a, a discussion about addiction and Ireland and drug policy. Three crackers. But the first night, the Friday, I interviewed a chap called Kali Ennis, who was a researcher in Trinity College, and he's a researcher in zoology and he is a expert in insects and frogs and all small little small animals that aren't mammals basically and what makes Collie so interesting is he like he's working in the zoology department you know this is the the coal face of professional fucking zoology but he himself fully believes in democratizing this information that there's no point speaking about zoology or insects or animals if the way you're speaking about it is going to exclude the lay person. So Collie goes around to schools and everything with spiders and insects and all this crack. Um, also, importantly, Collie's main thing is conservationism. His primary concern at the moment is looking at the frogs and insects of Ireland and watching how they're populations are decimating as an indicator of global warming and he is at the front of the battle lines trying to save the small insects and frogs and whatever of Ireland he is leading the avant-garde 
So this week's podcast, I'm going to I'm going to play the live the interview I did with Kali Ennis about insects and about the environment, and it's a cracker, and it's hugely hugely informative about what's actually happening in Ireland with the environment and with uh, uh, populations of certain animals, and it gives you information. Like that's the thing. It's it's yes at times it's sad. But Collie provides real answers on what, what you can actually do in Ireland to try and improve things if you want to. So before we get into that, um, we will have our, our musical pause for an advert to be inserted. Usually it's the ocarina pause. We didn't have an ocarina pause last week because I didn't know where it was. This week, the ocarina is somewhere in my luggage and I don't fancy looking for it. So we're going to have... Uh, a musical pause this week whereby I've got a packet of um, chewing gums you know those petrol station chewing gums that are inside in a little container and I'm going to shake them but in in a gentle fashion uh, in a circular motion around the microphone so that it is aesthetically pleasing I do this because Acast might possibly um, insert a digital advert into this podcast I have been told again that the British Army are advertising on my podcast after I requested that the British Army are no longer allowed on this podcast okay so no thank you British Army I'm going to do what I usually do before the British Army advertise on this podcast I will list out one or two war crimes of the British Army to to counteract any possible indoctrination that may occur upon your brain. In 1900, thereabouts, during the Second Boer War, the British had actual concentration camps in South Africa. Um, they captured The men that were captured were mostly sent overseas, but the concentration camps that the British ran, um, it was mostly for women and children. 26,000 women and children. Uh, died in British concentration camps in South Africa in 1900. In Kenya, 1952 to 1960, the British Army interned who they believed to be rebels, you know, without trial. There was no trial. Anyone of a suspected rebel. They hung 2,000 and tortured Barack Obama's grandfather was tortured by the British Army because he was suspected of being a rebel in Kenya in the 1950s. So, we're going to go into the pause now. The chewing gum pause for a digital advert to be inserted. And if the British Army advertise, well, I've done a little bit of counterintelligence, you pricks. Oh yeah, listen to that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labeling my emotions, identifying my emotions. I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime, for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindbuy today to get 10% off your first month. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash blind boy. I don't have a stereo microphone so you can't hear it from going left to right but you get the idea. This podcast is supported by you, the listener. Um, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. Um, mainly because... I don't know, I, don't, I can't really get advertisers. Like, there's like a million listeners, but just... Advertisers aren't necessarily flocking to the podcast. I think it's because I speak about mental health a lot. And I think that frightens off advertisers. But anyway, with the Patreon, I don't really need advertisers. I don't have to pander to advertisers. I don't have to be concerned or worried about... You know, if I'm getting sponsored by a certain brand, do I have to curtail my content? I don't have to worry about that stuff because it is you, the listener, who supports the pay or supports this podcast financially. Um, Patreon, Patreon are in the news recently now, and it's a it's a little bit worrying. The they're they're saying that their their model isn't financially sustainable for the shareholders. Who own Patreon. Um, Now basically what it is. It's just greedy investors. It's greedy investors going. Because ultimately what Patreon is. It's just a way to manage donations. It's it's a way to manage patronage. Like you lads give me. The price of a pint once a month. And then Patreon. Give me that money. And they take a cut out of it. So they're managing a payment system. And the shareholders of Patreon are going, well, that's not incredibly, that's not very fucking uh, profitable, is it? Well, it's not. You you knew it wasn't going to be when you invested. So that gave me a little bit of the willies because my main source of income is, is Patreon. That's what pays all my bills. That's what keeps me going. So hopefully that gets fucking resolved. 
and that my Patreon page can keep going. Um, but anyway, please, please do sign up if you listen to this podcast. If you enjoy it, if you know, if 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 it gives you enjoyment during the week, please contribute to the Patreon because that keeps that that I earn a living from that Patreon page, and for the first time in my career. I know where my money is coming from, which is, as an artist, is is a f- fantastic thing to be able to say. It's it's, I get to create, and I get to have meaning in my life and do the things that I enjoy, and know where my money is coming from, as opposed to before, where, I might get paid once every three months or something, you know, or once every four months, and have zero certainty about my future. So. Thank you to fucking everyone who is a patron of this podcast. Thank you so much. And it's the price of a pint, price of a cup of coffee, once a month. But if you can't afford it, if you're someone listening to this podcast and you don't have that cash, then you don't have to. You're still going to get the same podcast that everyone else gets. Okay? Um, I only, I only want to take money off people who have disposable income, who can afford it, and... The understanding is as well is that when someone subscribes to the Patreon, they're also paying for someone else who can't afford it, who still listens to the podcast, you know. It's it's a model kind of based on soundness and it works brilliantly. So hopefully Patreon will keep fucking going um, and not do something mad like Facebook. Facebook who've destroyed themselves over the past year and made their model absolutely unworkable. So let's get ready for the live podcast. One thing I'm going to say is I've been putting huge effort recently into how I record the live podcast. To to record it in a way that it still has a sense of um, intimacy. That it doesn't feel like it's in a, a big live venue full of people. There's going to be a little bit of crowd noise, but it's not overwhelming. It's still... It's getting close to the podcast hog territory. You know what I mean? I love this interview. Kali was fantastic. He was really fucking interesting. Um, and it's broaching subjects we haven't gone near on this podcast before. I've never spoken about animals or insects or frogs. And I haven't really spoken about climate change either. So here we have a fucking expert. Thank you very much. And you also have a podcast. I do. What's the name of your podcast? It's called The Critter Shed. The Critter Shed? Yeah. Very accessible. It is very... I actually, I listened to it. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I said to the audience, we're going to talk about insects for, for ages. Yeah. And it's going to be loads of crack. It is. And... Any arachnophobes out there? Oh, we'll get you over that today. Um, you offered to bring a couple of things with you. I did. But I had a, a screaming, roaring hangover this morning, and I just yeah. said, like, I'm not too bad with insects, but, like, if you, you've got these cockroaches and stuff. Giant Madagascan hissing cockroaches. Yes. So I don't think a hissing cockroach would go well at my hangover. No. <laughs> Try feeding them when you're drunk. <laughs> That's Your honour. Yeah. <laughs> That's my Saturday night. Tell me about feeding the hissing cockroaches. Well, feeding everything. 
So I might go out and have a few. You you've a shed a shed in the back garden. Full uh, yeah, of yeah. So obviously, the wife doesn't want them in the house. So I was, <laughs> I invested wisely, and I have a, a pretty large collection out the back garden. So you have a few quiet ones of a Saturday afternoon, but you still have to have your detawing mice out in the counter and your your bag of vegetables chopped up and your dog food, and you go out and feed all the animals. Where do you get, get your, your mice? Hand taken off. Who gives you mice? Uh, I breed my own mice or I buy them in bulk. Wow. <laughs> um, no vegans out there, is there? <laughs> Tell us how you got started, because you, you, you're now a researcher in Trinity College. I am. And you're a, a, a rather unorthodox start to ending up in that position. Yeah, I, um, like a lot of kids, I loved bugs and creepy crawlies. But I never grew out of it. My mate, Bob uh, Bourne, is a great artist for uh, 2000 AD comics. Mm -hmm. And people always ask him, when did you start drawing? And he says, when did you stop? Yeah. And I think that's the same with me. Because yeah. I always have frogs and uh, insects and tadpoles and all sorts of crap. My mum was great. Even though I grew up in Crumlin, it was still a bit wild. <laughs> 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 like the, the, the gardens were open. So you'd have hedgehogs and foxes and all yeah. running through your garden. Now all the gardens are walled. So you don't get that biodiversity being able to move around. Yeah. So like it was it was a proper wild place um, when you're out there digging around the mud. And I was allowed to keep whatever I wanted. And then I, I uh, pick, picked up a, a, an animal called a fire-bellied newt in Georgia Street Arcade in the old pet shop there in Dublin City Centre. And Center. what age were you? Eight. And then, and then I was like, right, this is for me. So I started, I started getting books and reading, and I get, then I got tarantulas. Then I learned how to make tarantulas have sex. And I got loads of tarantulas. And it's, uh, this is pre-internet. Pre-internet, just reading. Bit of candlelight, Barry White CD. <laughs> Bang. Game so, on. So when did, like, the natural childlike... Because it's interesting you said there as well about your buddy saying, you know, when did you stop drawing? Because I speak on the podcast a lot about, um, uh, for mental health, right? Mm -hmm. All of us played with crayons. All of us messed around with in the mud, did things like this. Mm -hmm. And then we stop at a certain age, usually because the adults say, grow up, you know, stop playing with crayons or you, you'll get your clothes dirty. But the psychologist Carl Jung, like, up until his death, he used to make an hour every day just to go down on the ground and play with sticks like he did when he was four and five. Because he's like, play is such an important part of mythology and understanding yourself and, and flow as well. Mm. Um, there's nothing better than being a kid and playing around with mud and just losing yourself. And I imagine, like the imagination and things you would have been thinking about it when you were messing around with a woodlouse. Yeah, you're learning about it and it's, it's I still get that calmness. Yeah. Believe it or not, when I'm playing with a giant boa, Pun intended. But if, if I'm, I'm playing around with a snake or, with, or I'm working with... When I'm working with animals, I get in that zone. And I get a great sense of peace holding scorpions. It's yeah. ridiculous, but it works for me. And it really does. It really is. It, that childhood fascination, it just kicks straight back into it. And w w what age were you when you went from... Uh, like, physically being interested in these things... To then go on, I need to know more about this. I need to oh, pick up a book. The day I got that new, 
I remember I... Uh, and what, what were you I, doing pre-internet? Like, I mean, I grew up pre-internet as well, but... I like, had, I'd one set of encyclopedias, and that was it. We, we, yeah, those things we used to call books. Yeah. I have, I have loads, and I still get books. You know, I find that, like, just... The internet's very good for small things, but with a book, I tend to absorb it better. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, yeah. And also, it's great for references, and it makes you look very clever. When your <laughs> mates come around, you're like, <laughs> let me just check. So, yeah, and, like, a, a lot of my books would need pictures as well. Because See, I'm stupid and because... I hate that, though. <laughs> pictures are demonised. But, like, I need them to identify yeah. spiders. Pictures are brilliant. I, mean? so I love books of pictures. Yeah. It's pictures of spiders, penises. So... Um, actually, here's a question. Not about spiders' mickeys. <laughs> but, uh... I know that, like, our proper wildlife book's really expensive because the you have to... The colour on them has to be absolutely perfect if you're identifying spiders. I know mushroom books. If you get a book about mushrooms, it's like 100 quid. Yep. It, it is God, because... I, I feel the, your pain. The photographs have to be absolutely perfect because if, if the printing is anywhere bad, you're up in the woods and all of a sudden you're eating a mushroom, so you need to have them perfect. Is it the same with... Uh, yeah, you're eating the wrong... The, um, for Christmas, I got a tarantula book and I know it set me misses back about 200 euros. Because it's just... Because it's very specific. And when yeah. I'm out in the woods or the jungles collecting tarantulas, yeah. I don't want to pick up the wrong one. There you go. You, you, go, bread, to, so, you, you know. go to Africa. Yeah, I, I do a lot of field work. I've been all over the world kind of collecting, flipping rocks and looking at different things. So. Can you tell us about that? Uh, because you were in Africa about six months ago with Trinity, wasn't this? Yeah, so Trinity, for the final year, the zoology students, they bring the, uh, the whole... Uh, anyone who wants to go to... Uh, to Africa and we do kind of a ecology tour which basically introduces them to the real Africa so you don't see the lovely pretty pictures that you'll see on the wildlife documentaries you'll see lions zebra ballymun flats right beside them and that's the harsh reality of it and this is what if you're a zoologist or you're going to get into conservation you have to know these things you have to see it mm -hmm. and Trinity are brilliant for doing that and a lot of other colleges now are following suit because it's grand learning books, uh, or learning stuff from the books and doing practical stuff in the labs, but you need to get your hands dirty and get out there. And I think it's a really good thing that the college does to give um, a sense of reality and a sense of how difficult it can be out there when you're talking about animal-human conflict and you're talking about trying to clean up environments where people are dirt poor. And who are we to be lecturing people who are dirt poor about how they should look after their wildlife? Yeah. And we can't look after our own wildlife. And what's the biggest kind of conservation issue that you were seeing in Africa? Too many people with too little money. Yeah. It's the same all over the world. And then there's... And how, does that, how does that impact animals? Because if you... The, the richer an economy tends to be, the mm -hmm. more it's conscious of environmentally friendly stuff. When you're poor and you're slopping out on the side of the road, yeah. you don't really care. And your kid is suffering. Mm -hmm. You don't care about the gazelles mm -hmm. and the cheetah. And, and, and that's totally understandable. And I didn't get that until I went there. And that's the reality of the situation. And you know? So it's the simple proximity of humans to animal populations yeah. is detrimental for animals. It is. The pollution is a major factor. And, yeah. You know, and, and, and plastic and pollution is incredible worldwide. Then you have greedy corporations coming in. And like uh, Malaysia, I flew into Malaysia and I, I nearly was crying on the plane going in. And is that because of the palm oil? All you see yeah. for miles and miles around, even up over the mountains. They've gone over the mountains. It's just 
rows and rows of palm oil. Can you tell us about palm oil, what it is? Well, palm oil is a monoculture. So instead of having these beautiful, uh, pristine rainforests that would have like massively complex food webs that have been there for eons. Food webs? Food webs is like you start at the bottom with plants and the insects to eat the plants and the birds to eat the insects. And it all goes in and everything's tied in. They're all feeding off each other. And then you chop all that down and you put one type of plant for 400 miles each direction. Yeah. And everything sure goes. And all well. you get in there is rats and some kind of snakes. And that's it. Yeah. It just wrecks the place. Um, and it's heartbreaking to see. Because, yeah, the, the, we were speaking backstage about, uh, we said Gillette mm-hmm. and Procter and & Gamble. And Procter, Procter & Gamble are accused of being responsible for the execution of, not the execution, <laughs> the extinction. Well, but no, yeah, but you know what? Thing. That's a, a meaningful Freudian slip. They're personally responsible for an orangutan going extinct. So I hear. Yeah, yeah. because of uh, palm oil and what they want. And also, st- the other thing with palm oil is slavery, human slavery. There's massive, massive amounts of human slavery used in extracting palm oil. Yeah, and it's all because of poverty. Lots of poor people over there have no choice. Yeah. And lots of people get duped into selling their land, uh, indigenous people to put in palm, or to put in cattle. Like, Brazil is going to be a major mess in the next couple of years now with that dope down there. So yeah. like he's going to, like, you know, he's going to have McDonald's cows all over the place. Yeah. And, you know... So and, and it will be, like, the big corporations are going to go to him, shake course, hands with him and go... Of course. Get rid of that, all that rainforest. And tell us to, you know, uh, cut down our waste and, you know what I mean, yeah. don't drink out plastic straws. And it's like, you know, it, it gets on my nerves sometimes, but there you go. Um, yeah, I can see it's a bit of a, an emotional subject for you. It is. Yeah. It is. I, um, I'd like to leave this world in the same state that we received it for our kids and our grandkids. Yeah. And we definitely aren't doing that. So, yeah. You know, it, and it, it's, it, it's people on the cold front. Like, I've, I'm very fortunate, like, the way I fell into this gig, that I get to work with incredible scientists, incredible students, PhD uh, students and incredible lecturers in the college and, and the conservation workers I, 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 I go out in the field with and y- everybody who's at the cold face knows this is happening but you, sometimes you feel like you're screaming in the dark you know what I mean and mm-hmm. but, but there is a lot of positive news out there as well so yeah you have to <laughs> he said that <laughs> because <laughs> I said I I'll give you the shit sandwich here. <laughs> if, if you say global warming stuff can you say something positive at the end please so, and his positive thing was well, there's loads of positive things out there, too. <laughs> um, Monarch butterflies bounce back 114% today. So Fair that's fucking that's play cool. to them, man. <laughs> but that's it. Ro- uh, royal families tend to live very long, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> tell me about, like, I follow you on Twitter. A very, very interesting man to follow on Twitter. Because you'd be there at nine in the morning and you're poking a scorpion. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just interesting because I'm going, wow, look at how he's starting his day. <laughs> um, but I saw you chatting about, you were very concerned recently, uh, this winter in particular, certain behaviour patterns you were seeing with native Irish animals. Yeah, I was moaning because it wasn't too cold. I've changed my but, mind today. But yeah. But t- tell us about that. Yeah. Tell well, us about well, what we weird are, things. Yeah, we are going through uh, noticeable climate fluctuations. You've all noticed it. 
It's roasting it's snowing hot. in March last year. Yeah, and it's roasting now in December. So you've got animals who should be asleep who aren't. Hedgehogs, frogs, newts, all that kind of stuff that need to be asleep. Now I specialise in amphibians and reptiles in Ireland. So you'd have your frogs and your newts and they, they need to get a kip, right? Because when they wake up, they are going at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's loving season. So they need to get so some... So is their hibernation disturbed, essentially? It, their hibernation is ex- it, it doesn't begin. And what happens is it doesn't begin because they don't get into that lower uh, the t- three degrees or below where they'll go right and disappear underground or go into some refuge and, and, and have a rest. So like, how does a frog hibernate? What, what's well, they'll either go into a kind of... A, a, a pile of leaves basically or some rocks or go into the bottom of a pond into the mud in the bottom of a pond just wait it out and they're fine to do that if they don't do that which they haven't been they're around doing what they normally do at night on a wet night they'll be out looking for slugs and snails and bugs which mm-hmm. is fine during the summer because there's a lot around during the winter time during the darker months there's no bugs around so all I have been spotting lately is these like emaciated frogs oh, going around fuck. going ah. And I'm very fond of frogs. They're little cute little things. And they're just like, going, oh. So it's, um, yeah, that's crap to see. But we got the cold snap, so hopefully it won't be too bad. And, yeah, do you think, like, getting a blast of cold now and it'll probably be cold in February, does that help? Like, can a frog just go... So they're going to wake up for the ride in April. Yeah. Operating on two hours of sleep. (laughs) Amphibian orgies. They won't know what's going on. Do you hear the eels in the Thames have loads of coke in them now as well? I heard that, yeah. So I think I'm just going to throw a lot of coke in the ponds to keep <laughs> them going. But um, What's happening to the... Someone said that to me there in London, yeah. There's so much coke in the Thames that... Uh, it's, going, it's getting absorbed by the eels, who are already screwed as well. So, like, they're just going around going... Huh? And how are the eels getting on with that coke? They're, they're talking too much. They're being a bit of an arsehole. <laughs> But to get back to the frogs, what happened last year, we had some, a similar situation last year. They woke up, uh, the frog orgy happened, everybody was happy, but then we had that big snow. So all their spawn ah, got... Ah, so you're, you're, it's, it's And that's, that's what I'm, I'm knowledgeable about. There's other people out there who will tell you about all sorts of different animals that are getting hit, hit, hit. I was saying to you earlier on, do you remember when you were kids and you go for a drive in the country? And you'd come back in your car, would have all bugs all over the windshield. John, you just remember that? Maybe you were too young. Well, that used to be a common thing. Now you never see it. And that's a sign of a uh, food web in distress. Insects are disappearing. Insects run the shop. If we disappeared, everything would be fine. The insects go... The, the whole thing collapses. It's that game, you know? Yeah. Um... Who are you most pissed off with regarding all of this stuff? Um, uh, I think no, I think <laughs> it <laughs> Brexit. Um, I'm. I, th- I think there's so many factors, but I think uh, this generation knows what the crack is now. Yeah. Our parents maybe didn't know so much. We know, and we have the we have the ability to change that. Everybody in here can do small little things to change that. And I think rather than being pissed off, let's be proactive. Yeah. And let's get out there and, you know, make small changes, make, make it a, a more friendly environment for the creatures we share the planet with. 
and it's easy to do and it's not about you know what I mean the straws and the plastic that's all important but there's other stuff you can do and voluntary organizations that need people like you to get out there and help and like, like actually know, on the ground on help, the ground helping yeah, frogs yeah. helping hedgehogs digging ponds yeah 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 planting seeds planting T- tell flowers. me about some of the stuff that you would do to help frogs so the Herpetological Society of Ireland are a group of uh, herpetologists which be, uh, they study of reptiles and, and is and there a relation between harp and harpies yes and things warts. that crawl so Latin. frogs because frogs give you warts they don't like but no, everyone it's the, the Latin for herpes and herpetology it, the Latin is uh, I think it's herpes or something but it's, yeah. that means things that crawl so the herpes crawls across your face Ah. And the lizards and the snakes crawl across the ground. Herpet, herpetological studies. Right, okay. There you go. So wh- what do you do? Let's start, like, I get, you know, you get a phone call. Uh, the frogs in Manahan are fucked. <laughs> again, what the, are you gonna again, the frog mobile. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Point. How does it start? What do you do? <clears throat> we'll, go out, uh, we'll go out and assess the situation. For example, about four years ago, we had a, a phone call from a teacher in Kildare who was walking past the breeding pond that she knew of. She was a biology teacher, so she had her eye, eye in. But she noticed that there were frogs dying all around the pond. So we went down to Frogmobile and um, assessed the situation. And we thought initially, long story short, we thought initially when we got out of the car that there was a major pollution event that was happening because, yeah. say, to the back of the exit there, that's where the pond was. As we got out of the car here, there was just dead frogs everywhere. Yeah. We counted like three or four hundred it was wow. crazy and they were half dead and dying and male frogs when they're breeding they're so randy they'll even if they're half their body's missing they'll still try and hump you yeah, it yeah. mad it was <laughs> so i'm like oh he's suffering but um he's so horny and dying but uh <laughs> what it was was we we set out camera traps we tested the water the water was fine everything then we discovered it was more than likely an escaped ferret pet that had gone on a rampage and, and what? Yes, so we sent off a sample. cat or a dog or uh, no a ferret a ferret a, a ferret yeah oh yeah. they're pricks yeah <laughs> all mammals but a pricks. ferret a ferret in, um like if a ferret gets into a chicken coop it, yeah, it will kill it, all it of them it gets into a uh, rampage but otters and, and foxes can do that too as well it's just it's like well they don't know what to do at all so that that was good news but that's an example of how we go out and assess the situation, and we've monitored that pond. Well, it, yeah, it is good back. news. It's like, it's just one prick of a ferret. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this shit happens. Actually, we're writing the paper up on that, so I will call it one prick of a ferret. Yeah, in your honor. <laughs> But my, my, dad used to, my dad used to hunt rabbits with ferrets. Mm. Now, not, not in a... This is how he earned money, not, not in, a, in, a, in the way they do it in Wicklow for fun. But, uh, but he, used to, he used to hunt rabbits with ferrets. He'd, he'd shine uh, motorcycle torches into the ferrets, or into the rabbits' faces, uh, dazzle them, or else he'd send ferrets down the burrow. Yeah, and the rabbits But he used to say that they then had to have a dog that would have to go down the burrow after the ferret to get the ferret out, because if you sent the ferret into the burrow, the ferret would suck the blood out of all the rabbits and leave them down there, because they're greedy boys. <laughs> they are. Have you, are you, have you any fondness for... Mammals. No. I, I don't really do mammals. There you go. But, like, come on. Like, you, you had some strong... <laughs> that sounds so strange. You had, a, you had a few strong words about cats there backstage, man. No, oh, no, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so people say to me, do you not get worried? Because I, I, I would keep some weird animals and say, well, what if they got out into the environment? What would they do? And I go, what, what pet do you have? And they'll say, a cat. And I'll be like, shut up. 
because cats are the most dangerous animal out there for native wildlife. They're out in every country eating everything just for the crack of it. And if they can't eat it, they'll scrub it and the animal will probably get an infection and die. Y'all have cats out there, anyone? Y'all get little mice and voles and all sorts chopped on the step every so often? No? Your cats are crap. Actually, They're doing it. They're doing it. Trust me. Is there an argument to be made for uh, excessively spoiling your cat so that they don't destroy the environment? No, there's an argument to be made for keeping your cat indoors where it should be. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It should be kept indoors and it should be spayed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I feel guilty now because I've taken upon myself to become the leader of a colony of feral cats. Out <laughs> but that, I mean... The, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just... It, sometimes when you say it, the actual thing that you have to do to be environmentally conscious, it's not very uh, palpable. But that's well, true, yeah, that's know? it, yeah. Uh, well, what about poor old dogs? Have you anything mean to say about them? <laughs> <laughs> dogs don't do half the damage or quarter the damage that cats will do. Yeah. I mean, dog, dogs are just... Uh, yeah. We all love dogs. Um... Talk us through your shed. Um, That's there's a fucking question. <laughs> Imagine someone who didn't know what this was just walks in. <laughs> Load of people here. Talk us through your shed, sir. <laughs> yeah, so I I got a, a, a for is it a regular shed? It's is a regular insulation shed of any description. Gen, yeah, insulated. Yeah, it's kitted out with thermostats that control microclimates within each individual oh, enclosure. And then I have racks of different animals all the way up to the roof and all the way down to the end, and, and that's it. And Te a, tell a decent us CD player in there as well. Yeah, to play the music. To play a bit of Slayer. Good man. <laughs> what, what, tell us about some cool animals that are in your shade. Well, I, um, I keep a lot of scorpions. I, I, I Is that just your own thing? You like, you I specialise in scorpions and uh, spiders yeah. and frogs. That's my tree. That's... I, I know a lot about them and I see. Do you have camel them. spiders? I had the camel spider, but they don't do well in captivity. Do they not? No. They're de desert species and even if you put a big heat lamp over them, they're just Did you hear the uh, do, do you know about camel spiders? They they first came when the US invaded Afghanistan, uh, that's when the US soldiers were all posting photographs of these terrifying they're not spiders, they're They're arachnids. Arachnids, yeah. yeah. But the memes went around around 2004 that they, were, they would chase you and they would scream like children <laughs> and they could run. Like, they were very quick. But They're very fast. There's a reason why they chase you. It's the shadow. Yes, very good. Yeah. So the Yanks were out in the desert. For, they are kind of scary looking. They've got huge fucking jaws and they could take a bite out of you the size of a euro. Is that correct? Yes. And, but they're not that interested in you. But the Yanks were in the middle of a desert. Desert's got nothing. Their jeeps and stuff were disturbing the camel spiders who were trying to sleep during the day. Camel spider comes out of the burrow, is like, fuck it, the sun, I want to be somewhere dark. So chases any type of shadow. So you had these marines looking for the fucking Taliban, screaming with their M16s, getting chased by these spiders. And I don't know, where, where did they get the opinion that the, the spiders were screaming at them? Because they were probably listening to their mates screaming in the background. But do they make noise? They, they, they rub the chelicerate, which is their jaws, yeah. together. But they don't make a noise that would scream like a baby. Okay, that was Definitely just... Definitely not. But they do chase shadows. Dramatic yanks. Yeah. yeah. Dramatic yanks. Why don't they do well in captivity? 
they're desert species and they need roasting hot uh, variation between hot and cold. Okay. And it's very hard to replicate that. Yeah. But you know, I have I have um, a very cool spider called a six-eyed sand spider, which is rumored to be the most venomous spider on the planet, and that's a, a really. Why do you say rumored? Um, <laughs> okay, so how do you test it on people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. You test that on rabbits, and we know it. it it's the equivalent of like a stroke, Ebola, and a heart attack all at the same time. Fucking hell. So, you know, and then if you go into where they live. Where they do they live? All the deserts. Because they originated on the island of Pangaea back in the Dickity, you know, back at yeah, eons yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you evolved on Pangaea, you have to have a lot of stones, you know what I mean? You Are you serious? Cut. Well, I mean, it was... Is that why Australia is full of mad bastards? Yeah, well, we can talk <laughs> but about wh- why that. Why is Australia full of the, like, really terrifying animals? It's a, it's a harsh environment, and it's a desert environment, especially when you have around desert environments. What tends to happen, especially with venomous animals, they, they, they tend to get funkier venom, you know, because yeah. you don't want to get eaten, and you want to make damn sure if you hit something, you're going to eat it. Yeah. Because you're going to come across food very rarely. And uh, to be honest with you, Australia claims to have a lot more dangerous animals than it. It's than a tourist sport, you know, bullshit. Yeah, you know, it's... <laughs> go to the Amazon and say to one of them, they'd laugh at you, they would. They'd be like, what? You know, my kid just got eaten by an anaconda the other day, you know, and I'm not, you know, it regularly happens down there. So, I mean, a brown snake in your kitchen. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? It's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So harden up Australia, you know. <laughs> what about uh, all the Irish lads that go over getting jobs as brickies in Australia? And then they go on to building sites and go, sure, I don't need any gloves. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, lads getting bitten by redback spiders. Tell me about redbacks. Well, they're, they're one of the widow family. Yeah. After destries, the, 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 the widows. But, I mean, it's like uh, our false widows here, who are their kind of cousins. They don't bite you unless you squeeze them. There was a scientific study done uh, by a woman in, um, in America, a scientist over there, and she put pressure on the regular black widow spiders. Yeah. Like squeeze them within an inch of their life. And only at the very end, when they're about to pop, did they bite you. So you're talking about putting on your jacket and you're putting on your jacket and the, the spider's about to get... Okay, yeah. Or you're reaching around the back of it. Well, the, the, what I was told by my buddies there, it's, it's the lads picking up cinder blocks. Yes. Because they be... But they, then it's a ha- like get to the hospital in a half an hour, you're dead. Oh, yeah. Because there the foreman will beat you to death. <laughs> There hasn't been a recorded fatality from them since, like, 1919 or something. I think it was a kid. Like, they have a bad rep. They, okay. don't, they don't deserve the rep they have. Um, and on that subject, because it's something you really wanted to speak about on this podcast and it's something you're very passionate about, yeah. who's familiar with the false widow spider? Yeah, which I've only started seeing... Like, I, I used to live in Dublin about four or five years ago. I lived up in Donna Bates. And, which isn't really Dublin. <laughs> I thought it was, coming from Limerick. Oh, I can't wait to move to Dublin. <laughs> Out in Donna Bates. <laughs> um, but, so what, when I was there for some reason, I was in a house and it was just fucking false widows all over the gaff. Scared the living shit out of me. Um, I nearly put myself in physical danger a number of times trying to avoid them. Yeah. Tell us about the false widow, and should I be as frightened as I am? And should I sometimes, in the summer, not sleep with any bedclothes on because I'm scared <laughs> there's one in there? So, uh, there's a venom lab up in, in Galway, 
run by a friend of mine. Sounds called, like a decent yeah. club. <laughs> the Venom Lab, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Dr. Michel Dugan, a very sexy French man up there, has taken it over into the university, and he, he's done a, 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 a full study of uh, the false widows and the effect of their venom. And I got involved and I helped, it, helped out with a paper that we wrote on a while ago. And if you get bitten by one of them, you're going to have a, a little bit of pain, a bit of an itch and probably a lump. And that's it. What about when the Daily Mail have the lad with his arm hanging off? Yeah. What that fella needs to do is have a wash because he has... <laughs> He has MRSA or sepsis or something like okay, that. Okay, so, uh, so, so that's a, exactly what it a is. A small wound went bad. Went bad. And it, it could but a, a cat could scratch you and the same thing exactly. could happen. You could get yeah. bitten by your pet hamster. There's more chance of you getting it that way. It's just sensationalist papers making up shit to make everybody afraid. And then you have Elwins falling downstairs because the Daddy Longrig runs in front of them. <laughs> I get calls from people who, who are... Like, I get calls from people saying, I need you to come out and talk to this uh, person because they won't leave their house because they're afraid a black or a false widow is going to jump out at them. Like genuine cases of people getting freaked and there's no need for it. It's a bee sting or a wasp thing. Won't kill you. No recorded fatalities. No recorded like even really bad side effects. It's just a nasty little sting. And, it, and, they, and to get stung by them, you'd have to go out your way to do it. Yeah. In the lab to get... Something to get licking, them to licking their heads, licking yeah, their exactly. Yeah. To hassle them, yeah. So, I mean, like, just, just Wh- really why though? Why, like, uh, they've been in Ireland about 150 years, They're they've been in England for 150 years, and then only Caribbean lads, aren't they? Yeah, they're yeah. from uh, the Canary Islands, and and they've been in England because they came in the banana boats, and then they got they were first recorded in Ireland. They're probably here a lot longer, but they were first recorded here in the 90s. By an arachnologist, Miles and Nolan. Why is there loads of them now? Or is it just that... They're very successful. It's like if to- someone told me, uh, my friend has a yellow car and all I see is yellow cars now when I'm on the road. <laughs> is it like partially, that? Partially, No, they're, they're very successful. They're invasive, so they're not... They're, our ecosystem isn't used to them. Yeah. They live longer than our native, uh, our native spiders who would only generally live for a year. Yeah. So these guys live for six years. The females do. Okay. And they have multiple egg sacs, and then they go out and they'll eat and attack a lot of different things. Like yeah, we even had a record of them last year eating a, a native lizard, which was really yes, cool. that's the first time that happened. That yeah, was yeah. the first recorded vertebrate being eaten by a spider in here. So a little lizard wandered into a spider's web out in Kalini in some woman's gaff, and the spider ate it. And we found it afterwards, and it was very interesting. Like exciting as you're a scientist, but like yeah. pretty crap if you're a lizard. Yeah. <laughs> Have any of you ever actually come across an Irish lizard in real life? Uh, once. I've one in, in Limerick. Little dragons. Yeah. We, we started a Tell study. us about them. We have one lizard on this, this yeah, island. Yeah, the common lizard. So it's a live bearing lizard. It doesn't lay eggs, but it's like the ones you'd see on holidays, you know, when you go away. Dark it's brown was the fellow. Yeah. Or very, do they change? Can they change? They can, they can change the matter. But, yeah. it, but it's not like a chameleon, but it, they will blend in. They're very cryptic, very hard to see. If you live in Dublin, Along Hote Head is a great spot during the sunny days, or they're on Bull Island as well. So we started doing uh, studying them in Bull Island about uh, seven or eight years ago, and we're going to continue on doing a long-term study to see how the numbers are affected by climate change and 
people interfering with their habitat and stuff. But and yeah. do do we not see them because they're really good at hiding? Yeah, very cryptic. Yeah, okay. and they don't like to be out because boars will eat them and foxes will eat them. And yeah. So the first year I was studying them, I didn't see them for six months. And the person did they bask? Did they need to? Did they need to they, bask? They weren't like basking when I was looking for. Them. I hadn't got my eye in. And my mate who I'm doing this study with was in Madagascar working with crocodiles. Real sexy research. I'm out in Bull Island in the rain, <laughs> walking along, and I can't find these fucking lizards. And I'm ringing him on, on his mobile phone and, uh, over in Madagascar, and I'm like, these don't exist. These are unicorns. They're, they're not real. Whoever reported seeing them here is lying. But then I saw my first one, and I was so happy. Actually, um, the, I saw my first one, and the first one I, we caught to take photographs of, my daughter was with me. And that Brilliant. was really magic. And it was a little magic moment because she's at that age now, like I was saying, and you could just see the hooks went in. And she's going to be uh, the next generation of conservationists now. So I, that was a magic moment, that was. So, yeah. But I love those little lizards. They're great. How did you catch it? We, we have a methodology where we use uh, felt mats to draw them in, where they'll bask. Yeah. And then you just get your, your skill set together. You can so you create a basking area? Yes. And it's very cool. And we take photographs of their underbellies. Each lizard has a different, unique underbelly, like a fingerprint. And then we put it into a database, and we use a program that the cops used to use for recognizing faces, but you can use it for lizards as well. And we can say, that's Larry from four years ago, and he's doing well, or, you know. Wow. So, and it really gives you a good idea of the, the population and what we're doing. Can you tell me about slow worms? Slow worms are uh, an introduced reptile. They look like a snake, but are actually a lizard. So they're a, leg- they a legless ha- they lizard. Do have eyelids or don't have they eyelids? They do have eyelids. Yeah, and they don't have the forked tongue. Yeah, and they have a very and, kind and of bony rib cage, and they're down in the burn. And there's a rumor we don't know where it started, and a lot of people are doubting it. But there was a rumor that they came over with the hippies in the seventies, who were around running around the burn in the nip, doing <laughs> doing magic and that well, from where, like, um, from England, because there's a lot. Are mass- they slow worms or Eng- English? English, yeah. Well, we don't know. So we, the we fucking, ha- the hippies did a reverse St. <laughs> Patrick on us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we need to get some genetics done on it to see exactly yeah. where they're from. But that's the, that's the legend. Tell us about some interesting bites that you've gotten. <laughs> because sometimes on Twitter I see you actually trying to get bitten. You were forcing your hand into a spider's jaws. Don't, yeah, you, you got that a little bit wrong. Well, that, was a, that was a molt, and I was stretching out yeah. the, the fangs just to show how sharp they were. But I wouldn't do that with the live spider because that would... Oh, that wasn't a real was spider. The, it was the real spider's molt. It was its jacket. Yes. Spider jacket. Exactly. Because that's of a pokey. It's an Indian ornamental spider. And if that bites you, you're, you're going to have a little trip to the hospital. So, do, so you, you have spiders in your shed that... If you got bitten by them, you'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, well, I, the, the six-eyed sand spider, uh, as I told you, the Ebola, heart attack, brain hemorrhage, all at the same time, that wouldn't be good. But he's in a lockbox, so he lives in that box, and he's happy as Larry. And he only gets fed every so often. You're very careful with and that. And you, you'd never handle? Never. Not a chance. There's no point. It's and it's not a handleable spider anyway? No. No, not at all. Um, I, have, I have a great story. There's these... Uh, Spiders, baboon spiders from Africa called orange baboon tarantulas, right? And we call them OBTs, or orange bitey things, <laughs> because they're nuts. I call them face huggers. When you walk past the cage, you go dunk onto the side of the glass, wow. like the aliens. So uh, I, I, I have some mates in England who do this thing. There's a guy from Glasgow, Scottish guy, 
and he got tagged on the tip of his finger and he was in so much pain, he rang me and he just started screaming on the phone, burn them all, Collie! <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs, this accent. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? But yeah, so he was just like, get rid of them. He got bitten, did he? He got tagged, a little, little What tip. do you mean got tagged? Tagged is getting bitten. bitten. Is it a like, warning, a warning? Yeah, yeah. So you can get a dry bite or you can get a full on venom. Envenomation, you know. And how did they decide whether to, the dry bite or the it's venom? Up to the spider or the snake or whatever's stinging you at the time. So. And so, like, have you ever ended up in hospital? Yeah. Uh, most recently with my eye, with the tarantula. So tarantulas, uh, the, the new, the, from America right down to South America, north to South America, any tarantula species along there, to defend itself before it bites you, it will flick hairs. And the flick, they have hairs on their arse. Yeah. And they'll flick them on their abdomen. Um, and each one of those hairs is like a barbed hook, like microscopically barbed. Yeah. Some of them are worse than others, depending on the species. But the biggest spider species on the planet is called the Goliath Bordier. Yeah. Okay? And that has hairs that are so bad that if, even if you're cleaning their cage a month after they've been moved to another cage, you'll start itching and scratching yeah. and flaring up. And I opened my mate's pet one when he was away I was looking after for him and I opened it and he went and squirted me right in the eye what, 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 like what he shoves his arse in the air and just, just flicks him he just went and I went bollocks <laughs> and instant pain you start retching trying to get sick what why yeah. you ever, because of the actual if pain if you get a hot needle in your eye and that's what it feels like and every Fuck. time you blink then they, go, they get pushed further in and you're like oh my god so straight down to the um, the eye and ear hospital and, and when you're there, I'm guessing you're the expert telling the doctors what the story is. This is, this is the funny part of the story. So I, I'm there and bubbles are coming out of my nose and I'm like, <laughs> just in bits, like the worst case. And I went up to the doc, to, to the desk where you have to fill out all those forms and I couldn't even see because my eye was hanging out of my head. And I'm trying to write and she's like, what happened to you? And I said, well, a tarantula bit me in the eye. <laughs> and there was about, literally about 80 people in the waiting room, like who'd been there for hours. The sheet went back to the doctor. Two seconds later, a doctor comes running out, Mr. Ennis, Mr. Ennis. Because he was like, this is deadly. Oh, oh my God, no. Straight into a chair, right? Clockwork orange. You know that clockwork orange thing? Yeah. Eye open. And I'm like this sitting chair going, oh my God. And they gave me a, an opioid drop from yeah. my eye. And it was orgasmic. It was like, <laughs> oh, the pain just went. Instant, yeah. Instant relief. But then he proceeds to call every medical student in Ireland <laughs> who arrive up with their phones, right? They attach this thing to the, to the clockwork orange thing that I'm in so they could take photographs on their phones of my eyeballs with the thing sticking out of them. And I'm sitting there for like hours going, oh my God, like it felt like hours. I was just pleased. Oh, do you mind if we bring five more people in explaining what's going on? And, and then eventually they got around to taking him out. And the weirdest thing ever was, there was five of them, it turned out, that were in my eyeball. And every time he put one out, the whole world went, blunk. It, oh, went, it went in and out of focus. So it was mad. And like when he pulled them out and shoved them onto a tissue, like are they large? No, they are microscopic. You'd need them. You'd need they're so small, but like you, you feel them. And... and why does the tarantula do that? Is that if it's been attacked? If, if, if you are a bird or a, or a mammal or anything that's gone down a tarantula's burrow to attack it, because these most terrestrial tarantulas are terrestrial means they live on the ground, they'll all be burrowers. 
So female tarantulas uh, disperse from their mother, and the males do too. Males will live one year, females can live up to 30 years. The males only live a year or two because as soon as they get down and nasty with the girls, she makes a meal out of them. Because she gets, she gets impregnated and she, or fertilised, and she's just thinking straight away, right, I need protein. You'll do, Larry. Bang. Yeah. And that's what happens, you know? So, so as, as they're living in that burrow, anything that comes down the burrow, which happened to me in my head in that cage, they'll just stick their bum up and go... So it goes down the throat, in the eyes, in the ears, everywhere. The sensitive animal gets freaked out, goes away, and leaves the tarantula alone. Jesus Christ, that's an ordeal, man. It wasn't fun. And it was even less fun trying to explain to my wife what was after happening. But, um, yeah, there you go. Does she ever just say to you sometimes, if you cop on to yourself? <laughs> More than you'll ever know. <laughs> yeah, she's just... Uh, I think she, she's just, she, she's just, it was a package deal, so I'm told she should used to it at this stage, but yeah. Um, is it true that, like, uh, with scorpions, the, the smaller the scorpion is, the more likely it is to be poisonous? Indiana Jones said it. Yes, there is a certain degree of truth to that. Most, most uh, small scorpions with small pincers on the front, you know, the pincers? Um, if they have small ones of them, they probably have a lot of venom in the back. If they have big pincers, they probably don't have a, a big a load of venom or as big a potency of venom. And what it is, is it's an evolutionary trade-off. If you've got big arms, you don't need to carry a knife. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's exactly what it is. It's the, the, the smaller ones will need venom to protect themselves. Now, that's a very simplified... There are exceptions, of course, and different spiders or different scorpions in different areas will have different venom. But the general rule is if you have a smaller scorpion with small... Uh, pincers, it's, it's going to be a lot nastier. And have you ever been pinched? Yes. What's that like? Like a crab. So not that bad? Not too bad at all. It's grand. I'd rather be pinched than poked. Have you been poked by a scorpion? Yeah. So I was... I breed the scorpions. <clears throat> um, the mothers are very protective of their young. They carry them on their back. They have a nine-month gestation, and they carry them on their back when they're all white in defences and feed them and look after them. But in nature... When they mature, they can disperse and get away from mammy. You get me? If they're in a cage where I'm breeding them or an enclosure, they can't disperse further, uh, far away from her. And as soon as they get off her back, her parental uh, switch goes off. So then they're a food item. So I have to slip in a little early and take them off her. And mammy doesn't be very happy, so I tend to be watching mammy all the time. What I wasn't watching out for was, as I was taking the babies off and putting them in little tubs, one of them ran around the back of my workbench and I sat in it and it stung me and had an arse like Beyonce for about two weeks because <laughs> my whole backside sw swelled up. So that was less than pleasant as well. And was that a trip to the hospital? No. Why not? I, they don't have anti-venom for Asian forest scorpions in Tala Hospital. Yeah, here's another thing. Do you ever, um... It's an, it's an antihistamine job. It's a, it's a bee sting, you know? Okay. Yeah. D do you, um... Like, hospitals need antivenoms. Do you do any of that? Like, where, does, where do antivenoms come from? London uh, School of Tropical Medicine do a lot of... Um, I have a mate, John, uh, John Dunbar, who worked over there. He works up in the Venom Lab now in Galway. It's kind of this... It's very insular, our crew of people who work in these kind of fields. 
But yeah, he was over there and they, they have a large selection of um, venomous snakes. Who d- what they, they milk them and they use the venom then to make anti-venom. Snake bite has been recognised this year by the World Health Organisation as one of the biggest threats on the planet. Because so what? many people die. Yeah, so many. We're fortunate. This is what annoys me about the papers going on about giant feckin' spiders trying to kill our dogs. We're very fortunate over here. We don't have dangerous animals that come into our houses. In India, you do. You're very poor. And if you get tagged over there by a very dangerous animal, uh, especially a, a, a venomous snake, you're, you're going to lose a leg or an arm if you're not rushed off the hospital. And then if you get to the hospital, they might be all out of the anti-venom because it's so expensive to make. Mm-hmm. So there's a big push now to try and get more, more herpetologists involved in collecting more venom to make more anti-venom and to make it affordable for poor people, which is a really cool thing. Um, someone asked the question, like, is it, is it okay or ethical to be keeping snakes, uh, fucking spiders, scorpions as pets? What do, what do you think about that? What's your opinion on that? Um, it, I think it's species-specific, all right? It's grand keeping a corn snake in an, in an appropriate enclosure, especially if it's multi-generational and down the line. You wouldn't leave it, say, oh, it's wrong to keep a pug and then throw it out in the wilderness where the wolves live. You know what I mean? These animals have been bred as pets, so a lot of them, that's exactly what they are. It's different keeping a crocodile in a sink or in your bathtub. Do you understand me? What, Species what, specific. Tell us about some of the shit you've seen, because you, you get some calls to people who are quite well, irresponsible. Just in the last month, I've had five snakes dropped off to my house because people get bored with them. Yeah. Snakes, big snakes that should be that thick are like half the size or half the weight they should have been. And the guy is like, oh, it's not eaten. And as soon as you put something in front of it, snapping at it because it hasn't been fed because he just doesn't care because it's bought as a fashion accessory. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that, that annoys me. Yeah. And but is it common? In saying that, they are brilliant pets. The, the, the ones that are small and can be kept healthy and happy in a reasonably size enclosure, given the proper care, do your homework. Just do your homework, get everything right and correct, and then it's all good. What would you recommend as a, as a pet now? Well, Spider, I mean, if scorpion. Right, I'm always selling spiders because they're brilliant. I mean, like, do, you, do you make money actually breeding and selling spiders? I could if I wanted to. I'm you too, don't, though. I'm, I'm too busy, to be honest yeah. with you. you know? like, that would be a full-time gig. There's a lot of people out there who do. And I, I, I'll breed certain things that I'm interested in. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not doing it for a business thing. But... Um, I'd, I'd, if you wanted, you'd have a cage that'd be a foot by a foot. You put a bit of dirt in it, a pot of water, and a little hide, and have your spider in there. And all you'd have to do is open it once a week, pop in the cricket, and there's your pet for 30 years. Low maintenance, happy as Larry, having the life of Riley. And it doesn't have to worry about anything trying to eat or kill it. Or. So, I mean, that's, that's a genuinely good pet. Better than keeping a dog locked up in the backyard tied to a, a rope, you but know? What, like, if you had, like, a, a Goliath tarantula, would you leave it out and leave it walk around the house? No. It's a poor... Because people do that. Yeah. On the internet. Yeah. There's a lot of stupid people. So that is wrong, to take your tarantula out and show your friends... And look well, like I have tarantulas that... I have, I have tarantulas that I would specifically use for school talks. But I'd have five tarantulas over... What four or five talks I'd do okay. in a year for stress, and I would only take them out very briefly, make sure. And if they're not in the mood, they stay in the box, and it's very 
well done. I don't, I don't like, you know, I wouldn't agree with the likes of snakes being brought into nightclubs. Yeah, that's the thing. What about snakes? People using them as part of their dancing act and stuff. I, I don't, I don't know. It's not. L- having it, to listen it, to it Tiesto. Be, I don't think it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Imagine somebody just put it, put it in this term, in terms, right? Imagine somebody walked in with a German Shepherd around her head doing sexy <laughs> dancing in a nightclub. You'd yeah. say, what are you playing We'd at? very quickly go... You'd be like, you... well, why have you got a kitten there? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's just because they're not charismatic to the masses. Yeah. So they're like, oh, that's very exotic. Now, and is it stressful for the animal? Um, I, 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 I'm not going to... There's a lot of people out there who do it and will say that it's not. I personally wouldn't do it. That's just my own. Do thing. you measure stress in like insects and or, or scorpions or? I can tell. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell by the way an animal moves if it's stressed but, like, out. But when you're saying like, like a, a scorpion, a spider can look at me in a certain way, or move in a certain way, and he's telling me to fuck off, and I'm just like, right, that's grand, you know. <laughs> Not today, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but is is that why you won't bring? Like a, a spider to a school all the time. Yes, exactly. So you if the stress if, on the animal. If if I went if I went to take one of them out and it was just kind of give me the fangs, which they do. They rear up and they show you their fangs and it's just like that's fine. We'll go. We'll go with a toad instead. You know. Did so. they get to know you? Did they get to know you? And no, they tolerate you. you. They don't. They, they tolerate, tolerate you. you. Yeah. Can skinks, they spot personalities or skinks are um, they're little lizardy. Yeah. Yeah. But they get a bit that big. But they're like bald cats. And, and they're really affectionate and, and friendly. We have tortoises that live around the house, just walk around the house like pet rocks. Mad yokes. <laughs> My kids are like, the tortoise tripped me up again. But, uh, and they are quite clever as well. There's a lot of it. Like, there's a, a, a kind of a, a mindset that reptiles are very stupid, dull, slow animals. Yeah. And I couldn't be further from the truth for a lot of them. They're very, very clever been around a lot longer than us and they'll probably be around a lot longer after us yeah you know so yeah they, some of them are some of them are very charming and some of them are a bit stupid and just do what they do um someone said i don't like spiders because they eat flies and other more <laughs> annoying insects <laughs> but does putting a spider outside in the no i don't like killing spiders okay he doesn't like he doesn't like killing spiders but would choose to put them outside, which is what I would do. Mm. I'll generally now I've started to become comfortable with leaving spiders live in my house and go, do you know what? I'm all right with you. Except when they're so big that I can hear them walking. <laughs> all right, so the... Ex- the you know ex- those ones yeah. you get at, at the start of the winter? Yeah. What are they called? They're called giant European house spiders. Yeah. They haven't not, I, you know them? Do you know... Yeah. You find them mostly in your bath and your sink? Yeah. yeah. So the ones you find in your bath and your sink are Randy Mail's. Yeah. So in the autumn time, the males, uh, they become mature. They make a thing called a sperm web. All spiders make sperm webs because they don't have penises in the way uh, mammals would. So they have these things, two things on their front called palps. And they're basically like syringes. So they jizz on the web. They stick their palps in there and suck it all up. And then they're like, I'm ready to rock. And that's when you hear them wandering around your house. Now they're the, the males going off, going. <gasps> so if they were a human lad, a lad would have to, yeah, wank onto his pillow, <laughs> then go like this, head out to the nightclub, yeah, and walk around, going. 
and then, and then instead and of then if you did get lucky your girlfriend eats you yeah <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> but ethically like is it is it like I, I don't I, I hate squishing spiders I hate hurting them I hate killing them I just don't like doing it I put them outside am I putting them at risk What's the best thing to do? Well, the first thing is, it's just a spider. I always say that to people as well. Yeah. I don't want to be a weirdo. Oh, you can't kill a spider. It's just a spider. It's not the end of the world. If you, the, the correct thing to do is put a cup over it and a piece of paper and just pop it in the garden. And yeah. it will find somewhere warm and it will survive. Or it won't. If it doesn't, it's going to feed a blackboard. And the yeah, circle yeah. of life continues. Do you understand? But if you want it out of your house, put it out of your house. Yeah. If they're in your house and they're making noises and all that, all they're doing is looking for their rocks. That's all it is. They're just out on the town, and that's it. <laughs> Apart from that, the ladies that are in the house that the males are looking for are behind your fridge or your washing machine just sitting there chilling out. They're never going to move. They're not stupid. It's only the stupid males that go out, you know? <laughs> all, male, all male spiders are essentially genetic couriers. Genetic couriers? Yep. That's and that's it. why they live, don't live as long? And they just are there to pass on genes, and that's their, their game, though. How do you feel about the people that um, go onto YouTube and they get their spiders to fight their scorpions to the death? And Look, it is what it is. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just to get hits, you know? It's yeah. the same as writing papers about silverfish eating your face, you know what I mean? Which is the oh, that's a new thing you said you saw on the newspaper, yeah. So the, the false widow thing is losing traction a little bit in the papers. And I saw a headline the other day that giant insects are invading our homes to eat our uh, skin. <laughs> Skin-eating insects, giant skin-eating insects evade their home. And what they're talking about are silverfish. I mean, we all have silverfish in our house. They're about that size. They've been around for like hundreds of millions of years. They're one of the first animals that ever came out of the sea. And they do eat skin in the form of dust on the ground. That's why they're so successful in houses. They don't crawl in your face or anything. But the way it was written in the paper, I'm, sh I'm convinced certain, I won't name any names, but I'm certain um, pest control companies have little seeds they plant in the papers just yeah. to uh, get in there and get a, a job. Because I'm sure people are being called out to houses to they get rid of false out. widows. Of course they do. London, London closed five schools for weeks last year. Not only did they close the schools, they sprayed the whole place with insecticide, pesticides, right? Because of sp false widow spiders that have lived in London for 150 years. Yeah. How stupid is that? And that shows you the power of the press. Those animals have always been there. Always. Like, for as long as we, we've been around. Like, you know what I mean? Well, 150 years is a long time. And then all of a sudden, some articles come out. They sensationalize it. Everybody gets afraid. Get people afraid. And then you get the pest controls companies moving in and spraying the school. And everybody's off school for two weeks. People out of work. It's ridiculous carrying on. Um, I heard an interesting story... It was in America, in the, a sensationalist thing flew around about bats carrying rabies, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really overblown, like one bat had rabies or something, but bats don't give people rabies. So anyway, this fella who had a, a giant farm had a cave on his land and there was a lot of bats in there. He starts freaking out about rabies, so he got all the bats killed, all burnt, dead, right? And then his entire farm collapsed. The bats had been eating all the flies. flies and the moths, yeah. You know what I mean? The caterpillars came back. Yeah. Yeah, everything has a, 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 a place in that food web we were talking about earlier on. 
Yeah. And it's like Candy Crush, Candy Crush Saga. You know that game? You all play that game? You can hit one of those squares or kaplunk. You can pull out all the, the sticks and nothing seems to be moving. And then you just hit one and it all goes... That's a food web. It's the same thing what happens with the bats there. So it, ju- it just means that you might knock a few animals off and they might disappear and everything seems to be going fine. But you'll hit one, yeah, like a keystone species, and that's, that will cause a cascade. What, what are examples of keystone species? There's a, uh, mid-range animals, like, you know. I tell you, a great indicator species is our frog. Yeah. Our frogs and amphibians, because they absorb uh, water through their skin, they get the fr- they're the ones that, if they start disappearing you know that the ecosystem is going getting into trouble because there's a lot of pollution. There's probably not enough insects around for them to eat. All the things we were talking about earlier on. And like, when's the last time any of you saw a frog spawn? You know? So it, that, that, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of stuff you, you look for as, a, as, a, as an ecologist. As a you caused a lot of shit in Phoenix Park there last year. Yeah. frogs. Yeah, the government dug up the main frog breeding area right in the middle of breeding season and killed all the adults. And, and they were the main Dublin frogs. They were like... He got a little cheer there at the back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, I mean, like, it, the Phoenix Park is, is a very wild area in the centre of the city. So anything that lives in there is quite... Uh, it's been there for a long time and it's an, an important part of the ecosystem. Like Michael D. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, tell us. Yeah, so we, we kind of sent him a couple of emails and the people in charge, and nobody got back to us. So I went to the press. Good man. And he got back to us very quickly. And now we have frogs back there breeding again. But that's active. Yeah. But did you have to introduce we frogs? Had, no, what we had to do was mitigation. So all the plants and all that they dug up, I got a group of volunteers from... Uh, Trinity Zoology and myself and Rob went down there and we got all the, the plants and all the important stuff that frogs and newts need to lay their eggs on and put it back then there in freezing cold. It was just as the snow hit last year. So we were getting covered and putting this stuff in, but it worked. And it, it's, you know, that's, that's the sort of conservation stuff I was telling you about earlier on. That's what we do. And that's the stuff that you say needs volunteers. If people Everybody, want to yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask the audience questions in a bit, right? But I'm going to ask you one last question. Can you talk a little bit about the podcast that you do? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm doing a podcast called The Critter Shed, and I want to make um, natural history more accessible to everybody and a little bit more fun because um, it tends to be very people talking about the breeding habits of the name. And... <laughs> And I like going down to the pub and having the crack with my mates and having conversations like this about how important it is or how, what it, interesting stuff is. So that's the goal of the podcast. And, you know, hopefully if you just give it a listen, you might enjoy it. And it's, it's very well recorded. Um, yeah, I was shocked at the, the audio fidelity of that's this. That's Colette Kinsler. Pretty so fucking she's brilliant. Producer. She's yeah. brilliant. She's really, and she was the one who like, has been the driving force behind it, so... Fair play to Colette. Um, so there's a, a microphone that's going to be flying around the room. So you can ask a question about fucking anything. It doesn't even have to have anything to do with um, this gentleman here in the Levi's jumper. So I have two questions. Um, one for Collie. You were saying earlier that um, in insects, that if they go, we go. So 
is there like one small step that each of us would be able to do to help insects? And the other question is, blind boy, would you sign my book? Yes. <laughs> so what you can do, whether you live in an apartment or you're renting a gaff or anything like that, okay, the first thing to do is try and set up some wild areas. You can go out and buy a pack of wild seed, uh, plant seeds, flowers, put them in, in your long pots. You can buy it, it costs you about 20 quid, the whole setup. Stick it on your windowsill. You're providing some food for some flying insects. Another thing you can do, even if you're renting a house, you can put in a temporary water source, a temporary pond. Get an old tire. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Put it on the ground, put some gravel in the bottom and put a bin liner on it and fill it with water. You'll get all sorts of bugs landing there. You might even get dragonflies. It's crazy what will show up if you give it a chance. You ever, you ever lift your bins in the morning and there's, everything's just alive under there? Because we've concreted everything. We've, we've put concrete everywhere. So the animals are just looking for places to hide, moist, uh, green areas. Do that. You know, that's the small things all, all you guys can do, you know. I bought an, an insect house in a uh, home base. It's just yeah. like a little wooden house and it has a pine cone in it and some wood shavings. Yeah. Are, are they any good? Yeah, they are. They, uh, everything helps. They are good. They, they're even better around water. And you'll get things like sultry bees coming in and making a home there. And you'll definitely get spiders in there because they know the bees are arriving. <laughs> okay. They're clever. Um, I'll sign your book after, is that all right? God bless you, sir. <laughs> um, <clears throat> any other questions? Hello. Uh, Hello, sir. Hello. Um, I have a slight concern that um, seagulls should be born in June. I live in Smithfield and I have a lot of baby seagulls. Is there a reason? Can you give me an answer? Well, when a mummy and daddy seagull love each other very much. <laughs> it's, it's just their breeding season and, and that's the time and they're, they're... No, but it should be June. Well, it's, everything's, it's, everything's messed up, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, everything's messed yeah. up. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm and, saying and, that and, there and also, be, there is a concern. And also they're coming back in further and further inland because no fish, no fish. For them. And our seaboard numbers are going through the floor. Isn't it bizarre that it's five months early? That's, That's what all. we were talking about earlier on. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. it is. And it's yeah. very noticeable, you know? Yeah. You sound like you should be presenting a very interesting documentary. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's up with the fucking... All the houses in... in when, when I come in in Houston, all the fake hawks. Yeah. What, is that for some, seagulls? Some genius came up with the idea that if you put a shape of a board uh, on, on, a, on a kind of a kite thing... Yeah. 
that the pigeons and will stay away because they think it's. I, a I, I, I literally thought it was some new type of Dublin satellite no, dish. No, no, that's it. But the, and the gas thing is, the pigeons are like two weeks later going, fuck off, they're all back. <laughs> it's brilliant. They're not stupid. Um, I just want to know, has light pollution impacted on insects lately as well? Has what, sorry? Light pollution. Oh, yes. And our birds and all our wildlife. So, but it, again, it, that was a small problem. It's not as big as the problems of uh, habitat fragmentation and uh, pesticides. Because we'd always have lots of... Uh, again, when I was a boy, uh, you'd have lots of uh, moths and bugs bouncing off lamps, and you'd see it all during the summer. Yeah, don't see it so much again. It's just this slow decrease. It's, it's, you know it's hard mean? to tell because it's just as as well as you naturally get older. It's the white dog shit phenomenon. Yes, do you know you what don't I mean? See healthy eating dogs anymore? Yeah. Well, I heard that the reason white dog shit went away was because of the EU. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you all remember white dog shit, yeah? Yeah. And you'd often wonder, is it just because I don't ha- I'm not a kid and I don't hang around the grass anymore? But it turns out the EU brought in laws about what could be in dog food, so that's why it doesn't exist anymore. So under Brexit, <laughs> they'll get the people of Britain can rightfully see a return to white dog shit. And that's what... <laughs> Fair play to them. Brilliant. Blue passports and white dog shit. <laughs> Um, it's fine and funny until it massively impacts us. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Uh, you may have already answered it earlier on, but I just want to make sure, is there any actual dangerous, or should I say poisonous spiders in Ireland? Every spider carries venom. Every one. The reaction that people have to it are different. But to answer your question, no. 110%. There is nothing in this country, in the arachnid uh, family, that will give you any harm so don't be worried about that shit straight up guys i mean it um, and as well the point that you make too the biggest danger of these spiders is people putting themselves people falling downstairs falling downstairs and jumping out windows yeah crazy because if you open a page of the sun and you see a man whose arm is melted off yeah you, of course you're going to jump out a window if you see one of those things you know it's 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 just not the truth have you any theories about how we evolved arachnophobia. Okay, there's two schools of thought on the fear of snakes, uh, rats, uh, spiders, all that stuff. One is the learned fear, because you see mammy or daddy jumping up on the couch when he sees a a spider come across, you're going to go, Jesus Christ, do you know what I mean? Uh, The other is a genetic fear, because if our great-great-great-great-grandparents weren't scared of these animals, they'd be eaten by them or killed yeah so it's that's the two schools of thought in it it's probably a combination of both like a lot of things you know so yeah that's it and some people like i have to i was terrified of spiders when i was a kid until i started getting into them then they became fascinating for me you know what i mean i'd like to know whether people were scared of spiders in like in ireland in the 1820s there was bigger things to worry about like but (laughs) Exactly. But you know what I mean? I wonder, exactly. growing up in a country where you don't necessarily have media, you're not going to turn on EastEnders and see someone getting bitten by a tarantula. <laughs> I don't watch Just EastEnders, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm at home and away or something. Um, but 
do you think maybe in the 1820s it's like people because Ireland didn't have dangerous spiders, people were just like, it's grand. There's a disconnect from nature, a digital disconnect nowadays. But there's always there has been a disconnect slowly over the years, and a lot of people are just don't know how to deal with shit that happens in the natural world or animals that occur in the natural world. Mm -hmm. Freaking out, oh my god. You know, there's a bird killing a pigeon outside. Yeah, it's a hawk. It's doing what it's supposed to do. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. people are freaking out. And, and you know, as I well, said... Like as the I said, go viral. What did you see last week? You saw a seal eat... The seal was eating the swan down in Cork, yeah. Yeah. And people are going, Jane, you mac. That's crazy. I'm a seal going along and I'm a carnivore and I see a big juicy arse there. And of course I'm going to eat it. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> I know, just don't associate swans with a big juicy arse at all. <laughs> no comment. Um, any other questions that don't objectify swans? Um, um, sorry, uh, Blind Boy, I was listening to your podcast, your latest one this morning, and it's the first time you spoke about climate change. Yeah. I hope you speak about it more. I think it's so important. And the, I suppose you were talking about how you, you've kind of avoided talking about it because you're in denial. And I feel the same, that it's just the overwhelming fear of the future. Um, yeah. And I suppose just listening to colleague tonight is we can do something about it. So I just want to know more about the organisations that we could maybe volunteer with to make a change. The Herpetological Society of Ireland, the HSI for short, it's easier to say. We're online. Boardwalk Ireland, the Irish Wildlife Trust, just banging Conservation Ireland into any search engine. People, people out there need your help. There's a, there's a lot of us uh, struggling with time. Like we all have families and jobs and all the rest. So the more help we get to to make a little dent in it, it that's and that's active conservation. It's like Blind Boy was saying earlier on. It's you know don't get too caught up in like worrying about your diet and your use of plastic and all. It is important, but it's... Uh, get active. Get out there and do something. Physically do something. Put even board seat out for it. Uh, you know, it sounds stupid, but it's just small little things. And if everybody does a small little thing, it's, it, it, it really turns into a tsunami of, of helping the, the creatures we live beside, you know? And it's like, <clears throat> we talk about Africa and Asia and, and all the beautiful animals, and we want to protect the tigers... Worry about your badgers, and okay? Worry about your badgers, I mean it. Worry about your, your, your local wildlife, the animals that live locally to you, you know what I mean? And then... That can turn into a very dangerous argument. Yeah. <laughs> but do, do you get me, you know what I mean? So it's, it, starts, it starts at home, and then we work mm -hmm. from there. Um, and as well, what Kali was saying there about, like, throwing bird seed out and stuff like that, you can incorporate that into your mental health regime, because... That act, if you get up in the morning, right, and you say to yourself, you make the connection with yourself, I'm going to put out some bird seed because I'm looking at those birds across the way and I'm thinking about them and I'm using empathy to imagine that these birds are hungry, this little thing up on a tree. That's the shit that builds your mental health and self-esteem. Those are the genuine, that's the opposite of waking up, opening Twitter uh, and then feeling furiously angry yeah. and not remembering your cornflakes. So there's, a, there's definitely a, a mental health. That, that's it's incredible. It, it, to get out and get your hands dirty and, and get out in nature. 
and help another sentient being, some, or even if it's not sentient, even if it's a woodlouse or whatever, you're doing something good. Yeah. You're not sitting there going, that's terrible. That's yeah, shocking. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Which you're out there and draining, you're like, feel great. Yeah, exactly. And I bet you after a good old day of dealing with slugs, when you go on Twitter, you would find yourself not getting too annoyed by it. I, tr- I tend not to care about most things. I'm just yeah. grand, you know what I mean? Go home and, and you, relax. You, you said backstage as well that like, you do a bit of kickboxing and stuff like that. Yeah. You use exercise to help your mental health. I do. Do you find that your interaction with creators is a mental health thing? 100%. Too? Yeah. 100%. It really is. I, as I said, going out to my shed gives me a lot of... Uh, just, it just, I forget about all my worries. Going out for a walk putting the board seat out, just, if I'm doing some conservation work, if I'm up, I'll be knee-deep in pond juice now in a while. That sounds weird. But yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going out surveying for a newt soon, and we'll be in the muddy waters, and I'll feel great. Yeah. You know, so Do you yeah. wear galoshes or anything when you're doing that? Or? What? Like, oh, yeah, the whole, yeah. the whole thing. I look like a human frog. But yeah, it's good. Um, did we speak about your cockroaches? You have uh, mulching cockroaches. Oh, yeah, mulching cockroaches. Yeah, I'm thinking of trying to maybe go somewhere with that. It'd be an interesting... And what do you mean, go, sir? Well, what? I think it'd be what? nice... A one-man play. <laughs> Fucking Samuel Beckett-style play with 20 loud cockroaches up on stage. Where are you going to go with the cockroaches, man? I was thinking that it'd be nice to maybe have one in a, everybody's kitchen where they could just have a little bucket where they could throw Ooh. all their food in there. Because people do that with tiger worms, don't they? They do it with loads of worms and loads of insects. And these things can't climb up plastic walls. So they're always there. Their poo is brilliant fertilizer. So I get lovely tomatoes and strawberries out of it. Is, is this your like your, your kitchen waste goes yeah. into this? All our kitchen waste goes into a bucket of cockroaches. But the noise of the thing, like there was like a ho- what, what were they called? They're uh, Haitian death's head cockroaches. And they're like that size. Yeah, about that size. And you can hear them scuttling, but they break down. <laughs> they break down everything, turn it into this lovely guano, and then you put it on the the, the, the vegetables and everybody goes my god this is juicy tomato what's your secret and I go <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, any other question how do we get involved in the cockroaches <laughs> was that the question how do we get involved in the cockroaches <clears throat> actually yeah like le- yeah if I want it, does that arrive I'm as a block? <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes you, go, you buy insects and they arrive like, do you know when you buy microwave popcorn, you yeah. open it up? Don't yeah. insects arrive like that? You buy them in uh, small plastic packs from cockroach dealers. <laughs> Not up a laneway now, they're posted out to you. But like, yeah, you basically get them in the post in a little starter pack. And it's like, a, it's called a starter colony. And then you grow them on and then you get them up to a certain point. That there's enough numbers there you can just start throwing in your food. And, and who are they for? Like, who's, is, it, is it for people who are involved in cockroach mulching? Or no, they are f- called feeder, feeder roaches. They're all so they're feeder for snakes? And they're and for snakes. No, well, not snakes, but yeah, anything that eats, mainly tarantulas and stuff like that. But if you're in countries like China and, and a lot, mainly through Asia, down to Thailand, they would be, be eating the mulch, but then they'd end up on your plate because they love eating them yeah. over there. You know, so, and I think that's going to be... What do you think about the ethical argument for using insects as a form of 100% protein? 100% behind it. Yeah? 100%. You know, pe- you know, that's a huge thing. People are saying that they want uh, worms and cockroaches and grubs to create a type of protein that we eat that's uh, not, up. not harmful to the planet. So it's the, 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 the footprint that these farms would leave would be 
immeasurably less than cows and beef and all that. And when you mash it up into a lovely burger, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Or if you're very adventurous, you can cook them up and just eat them and very crunchy and they're very nice. Lads, like we, eat, we eat white pudding. White pudding is mostly pig's arsehole. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know it's disgusting to think of the insects and stuff, but... Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it's just culturally we'd be adverse to that, you know. But I can see the swing coming. Have you ever dined on roach? <laughs> I've dined on insects, yeah, I have. What, what style of insect? Uh, roaches. Roaches. Was it? Was it? I had a scorpion. Did you do it yourself, or I have, yeah. So you're at home cooking a cockroach. <laughs> how? How? <laughs> what? To Just put them in a, in a wok. You make a put them in a wok with a bit of oil. You have to starve them for about three days. Like why? My wife is gonna kill me when she hears this. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> you starve them for a few days, so any waste goes right through them. Yeah. And and then there there's no toxins in them. And then you just throw them in a little oil on the pan and they go and then you put your rice in and your soy sauce and everything else and you wouldn't know it was any difference from anything else. And were you, were you doing this as to prove something to yourself? No, my mate got me a book two, or Christmas before last about eating insects and I was like, right, I'll give that a go. But like, fair play. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't be lecturing people and going, no, we must be eating more insects. And then somebody turned around to me, which I've done to other people, say, how many insects have you eaten? You know, so... I suppose, yeah. Yeah, I'd be a bit of a hypocrite. Or it's a, it's a slow descent into becoming a very unhinged man. <laughs> <laughs> you could argue that's happened already. <laughs> Any other questions? Um, yeah, where, where's the so microphone? I was just wondering, obviously, like, we've talked a lot about, like, conservationism, all of that kind of thing, and I was just wondering, when you think about snakes... How do you feel about St. Patrick and the fact that he just ran all of those snakes out of Ireland? <laughs> yes, let's talk about snakes in Ireland. Yeah, so the St. Patrick thing didn't happen. So the Catholic Church was lying yet again. Um, the, the legend of him driving all the snakes out of Ireland is, is nonsense. So the reason why we have very poor amounts of reptiles and, and amphibians in the country is because of the Ice Age. So we were buried under a shitload of ice back in the day. And as that ice retreated through Europe, the warm, loving reptiles made their way back up. But just before they got to Ireland, the Irish Sea formed. Okay. Do you understand? Yeah. So they're in England. They got right the way up to England, but most of them never made it to Ireland. Because there is We'd one or two adders in England. Adders. And they'd give you a serious bite, wouldn't they? Snakes, yeah. Not serious, people let on another okay. problem. That, like, I'm going over to a conference in England now and they have serious issues with their adders because people are just beating them to death. Where they used to live with them, no problem. Why are they beating them to death? The Daily Mail. Yes. <laughs> and I heard a fucking a mad fact about the Daily Mail recently. During World War I, when the Germans started using gas, you know, the Brits got terrified that the Germans were going to gas London. So the Daily Mail invented a type of gas mask and put the template for how to make it in, in the Daily Mail, like out of a coal sack and a few different things. And something like, like 4,000 people died trying to make the Daily Mail gas mask. And the Germans didn't go near London with any gas. Suffocated like... Yeah. Jane. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Any other questions? Where's the microphone? We'll keep it around the back. Hi. 
Cody, I'm just wondering where you went to secondary school. And blind boy, I'd love to talk to you about mental health. I'm employed in DCU as an expert by experience from my experience in mental ill health. Um, so, Cody, where did you go to secondary school? Uh, <laughs> Drimna. Yeah. Um, I went to secondary school in Drimna Castle. And during... Yeah. And in primary, if it, anybody went there, it's a fairly big kind of green area. And they have a moat around the castle. And it used to be full of frogs, so that was like, my lunchtime was... <laughs> Is it now sans frog? It, it was until I went back and I started a programme to reintroduce them, so now it's back there, and it's really cool, because I'm working with the students. Fucking so, yeah. brilliant. That's... In the frogmobile. That's a fucking <laughs> Tinder bio, man. I, I reintroduced frogs to dream now. <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> uh, yeah, hello. Hey, Connie, what's up? How are you? Uh, you, <laughs> you were talking about the, the funkier venoms uh, in the desert there. Uh, can you give us a bit of an insight into the scale of funkiness you have in your back shed? Uh, uh, like I Venom said. Venom-wise. On a scale of funk, you know. <laughs> well, that, as I said to you, the six-eyed sand spider is a prime example of that. Because it... it, it Evolved in Pangaea and it has this massive amounts of venom. Why is it called sick? Six, six eye because it has six eyes. And is that exceptional for a spider? <laughs> oh, I know that. Very scientific. <laughs> um, no, the, the most most spiders would have eight eyes. And what is he doing with six? He's like, I'm he's, so venomous, he, I can he, do without he, the other two. Yeah, he's just getting along fine without the other two. So he's like, yeah, whatever. But what's um, it like on the inside of a spider's mind to have eight eyes? The reason you have the eight eyes is because the two eyes in front actually look a colour and they can see an ultraviolet. And the ones around the side are basically like watch out eyes. Uh, they kind of go, if you were to smack it from the side, it'd be able to move quickly and disappear faster. So they're like sketch eyes and the ones in the front are like, they, sh they show you what, what the colours are. And there's ones called lateral eyes that are just beside them and they look at the prey. So yeah. And, cool. and can they see parts of the colour spectrum that we can't see? In yes. Shit? Wow. So there's a spider called Porsche, which is like a, a tiny little jumping, jumping spider. And it's, it's, they've compared it to cats because it's able to, it, kill, it, it kills other spiders. It doesn't have a web. So it crawls around on the ground and it looks for a web. And it will figure out, well, there she is there. But she's bigger than me and she has a massive venom. So I'll go over here to the side of our web and I'll flick the web and make it seem like there's a fly caught in it. Do you understand me? So big spider goes down here. Porsche, in the meantime, legs it up onto a branch that it's already seen. This is problem solving in an arachnid the size of, uh, half the size of your tome. It's on the side of the branch. It waits until the, the other spider repositions itself and it jumps on its back and envenomates it and eats it. Problem solving. Complex problem solving. Going, I'm going to get that to go to there so I can go up there and jack it. Like, so it's, it's really, really clever, you know? Tell us about um, the... The, I don't know what they are now, but there's insects that can control other insects' minds. Do you know, they go onto them and they become their heads and they can steer yeah. them. Parasites, yeah. My, 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 uh, my, my colleague in Trinity, Maureen Williams, is an amazing... If you ever get a chance to look up... If you want to hear cool facts about parasites, she's, she's on YouTube and everything. Maureen Williams is amazing. But she, she's just telling me about these, these mind-control parasites that will get into... They'll get into fish and then make the fish want to come out of the water, out into the open, where a bird will eat it, 
and then becomes part of the boar's life cycle, goes back into the water. It's very complex, but it's not my field, so I'm not going to pretend I but know more. But is, than is I that do. what the parasite wants? So the parasite gets to the fish, the fish gets eaten by the bird, yeah, and then and the parasite gets shat out by the bird. Back in, it's part of the life cycle, or goes into the liver of the, the board. Because there's different. a parasite as well that makes ants walk up the stalks of. Uh, Grass, so the cow will eat it. There's all yeah. sorts of different mind control ones. There's one that causes frogs to be born with multiple legs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so the frogs then they, they get eaten by a star. Yes. Yeah. Nah, that's true. Yeah, but um, you want to talk to her about the parasites? It's not my. See, that's when when you get an academic and they're afraid to go outside of their field. <laughs> Give us some. I just don't want to make a mistake because I'll get. I'll get I want some wild tomorrow. sweeping opinions on parasites, please, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> do you know a cool parasite that there is that I do know about? Give me, There's give a little me, yeah. arthropod that lives in the sea and it latches onto fish's tongues, eats the tongue, and then becomes a tongue. Oh, my god! And gosh. it looks like a giant woodlouse. And what's the benefit of that becoming the fish's tongue? Anything the fish eats, it eats. Oh, man. So it's just there going... <laughs> um, but we were talking about earlier, like, the argument that we humans are parasites... Yeah, you could think that. If you look at like the planet as a living thing, we're just a flu that's really good at killing it. Yeah. And, and we then hopefully we can give it to Mars. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we parasitize each other. Like we're, in the West, we're yeah. living off the backs of all the poor people in less fortunate countries. And we can't even help it. No matter how ethically you try to live, you're still going to be stepping on someone's. Uh, I, I saw something recently about... Uh, water pollution in Ireland being reduced and how it was great and that's why we were seeing more whales and, and whatnot on the Irish coasts and I was just wondering if somebody on the ground is that actually true or are we being better at our pollution? We're definitely cleaning up because we're becoming more well off like the Arklow River for example it was dead it's coming back problem is though we're, we're overfishing so we now we have nice clean waters with no fish in it and the boards are all starving so we have to get all our ducks in a row. Do you know what I mean? So it, 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 it's everything to do with conservation. It needs bodies on the ground and it needs, um, it needs a multi-pointed attack. And you I'm can't just do one thing and then just go, well, we're grand now, you know? One thing I admire about what you do as well is you go for the animals that, like, cuteness should not be a part of no. conservation. No. So, like... I'm all about saving fucking ospreys and eagles because they're beautiful and free, but yeah. I never spare too much time for the toad. Yes. And, they and I think I should. <laughs> yeah. It's the uncharismatic fauna. That's what we kind yeah. of try to look out for. And uh, they, they have as much right to be on this planet as the beautiful uh, deer and the, the eagle and the, f the, the, the little fox and the cute, all the other cute animals. Pine martens, man. They have as much right. Yeah, pine martens. But uh, they've as much right to be around, and they need to be looked after, and they're they're very good indicators of how good our our environment's doing, and you know. So get out there and get your, your paws you. dirty. Thank you, Kali Ennis, for that interview. It was riveting. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I very much enjoyed doing it. I'll be back next week with some hot takes. Look after yourself. Be sound to the people that are close to you get up in the morning and remind yourself it might be your fucking last do you know what I mean um, not in a negative way but in just like get out of bed and go 
I don't know what I don't know what's gonna fucking happen at the end of the day. So I'm gonna I'm gonna live my life. I'm gonna live my life on my own terms. Yart. <laughs>